Hey, what's up? So, it sounds like we didn't quite get what you're looking for. Alright, so you want something with more people in it? Okay, I think I know what you mean. Bye. Okay guys, whenever I see action, go down the slide. Ready? Action! So our uh, media and communications team still doesn't quite get where we're going with this whole Wii series thing, so we'll keep working with them on that. But uh, no, Chad kicked us off in this series last week called Wii, and uh, one of the big things that he challenged us with to understand is how we is greater than me, right? You remember that if you were here for that? And uh, talked about how back in Genesis, God made it very clear that it is not good for man to be alone, for us to be alone, but we're created to be in community. And, uh, and so he landed on the idea that the best friends are those who help us become best friends with Jesus. And, and so that was really where we launched into last week. And so we're gonna kind of continue on with that. And uh, today is uh, we talk about uh, being in community, all right? Uh, lots of great things have been happening and here's we've been you know we talk about um, being in community together as, as Chad talked about uh, and it's been so cool watching people taking the step of faith to become a part of uh, the community of believers being baptized into Christ we've seen a number here in the last several weeks months doing that taking that step uh, we've seen a, a number taking that step towards uh, becoming a, a member or partner as we're beginning to call it here uh, by going to discovery our last discovery class a couple weeks ago had over 20 uh, people in that who were taking that step for that uh, had almost as many so lots of people taking that step of course many uh, more and more first-time guests coming in our doors and and uh, so we're excited about seeing more and more people uh, engaging with our community of believers here at first church and and just excited to see what God's doing and but this week in this whole series of we we're going to be spe speaking specifically about biblical community all right biblical community because Listen, it's, it's somewhat easy, I think, to find a community, right? To, to find a group of people that you can hang out with. It may be a community at your work, right? You, you can connect with those people that you work with on a day-to-day -day basis. It may be a community of, uh, around, uh, center around your kids, right? You know, you've, maybe you're in that stage, and parents all getting together. Maybe it's a sports team with your kids, and so you got a community there of a bunch of parents that, that you're with. Uh, maybe it's, you know, Facebook came out with their ad about, you know, there's a group for everything, you know, and maybe it's, a, maybe it's an online community that you're connecting with and, and uh, you're spending time with. But finding community itself isn't that difficult. But I believe as followers of Christ, what we are called to is to engage in biblical community. Right? Biblical community. It's not that any of those other ones are bad. Matter of fact, we want to be engaged in those because there's opportunities for ministry a lot of times in those other communities. But we also, at the same time, need to make sure that we are engaged in, in, in biblical uh, community. We believe that God's plan for us as followers of Jesus is to surround ourselves with other followers of Jesus for the purpose of helping us follow Jesus, right? We need those kinds of people around us. And so today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the early church as they launched off, as they took off as a, as a church, as new believers, and see how they caught on very quickly to this whole idea of biblical community. Because the fact is this, we need community, right? 
We need community. We're built for that, all right? So here, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to repeat that after me, okay? Uh, we need community, all right? One, two, three. We need community, right? I want you to personalize that now, okay? I want you to say, I need community, okay? One, two, three. I need community. My job is done. You get it. All right, good. We do. We're wired for that. Now, I have to be very honest with you. That is a little struggle for me to say. Because I, along with about 49% of you, according to statistics, I am an introvert. <laughs> Any fellow introverts in the room? All right. And so you begin talking about community. Yeah. You begin talking about connections and relationships. And it's like, I start getting a little sweaty. All right. And whenever I tell people that I'm an introvert, uh, a lot of times I get this, what? No way. I mean, we see what you're doing around here all the time. You're up on stage talking to hundreds of people, you know. And I'm like, yeah, this is the easy part, okay? I mean, put me in front of hundreds, thousands. I don't care. Put them all in front of me because I just get up here and talk. You don't talk back to me, all right? And, you know, that's, that's where it starts getting difficult, whenever there's conversation involved, okay? Uh, point in case, let me tell you a story um, that would illustrate this. If maybe you're an extrovert going, well, you're just weird, you know, come on, suck it up. Okay, um, Several years ago, I was officiating at a wedding, and uh, at this particular wedding, I, I knew the bride and the groom, I knew the groom's parents, I knew a few of uh, his friends just from, you know, being around them a little bit, and, and that was about, that was it. And Steph was not able to go with me uh, to this particular wedding, so I was, I was there uh, relatively by myself. And so I, I, we did the ceremony, I fulfilled all my uh, responsibilities, all I had left was to have them sign the marriage license, and, and usually that comes later, you know, because photographers and all that good stuff. Anyway, and so after the ceremony, and I'm done with all, the, all that part of the responsibility, and all the celebration starts. Everybody's having a good time. People are eating. People are drinking. People are non-alcoholic beverages, of course. Uh, no, not really. Anyway, um, people are dancing. People are just having a good time. It's a celebration, right? And so what do I do? I go get my little small dessert plate and get my crackers and cheese and I get some veggies and a dollop of ranch and I go and I get me a glass of unsweet iced tea and I go and I find me a chair in the corner by myself and I loved it okay I mean I, just, I was just content it's like yes let me just sit here and I'll watch the festivities okay and I was good all right? A couple of people even came to me during that time. I was like, hey, you can come sit with us. I'm good. I'm all right. Later on, okay, I wasn't a total stuck up, okay? I actually did get up and I went and, and sat at a table. I met new friends, but I needed about a half hour to recharge before I engaged once again, all right? That's, that's the life of an introvert. Do I get an amen? <laughs> You're out there. Woo! 49% of us, all right? But even as an introvert, I understand that there are things that are not good to be done alone. Even this week, I was reading an article about a, a lady who went on a hike, uh, I believe it was in Alaska. Uh, she went by herself, found herself between a mama bear and her cub, and it did not end well, right? And the experts 
Uh, in the article said, especially in this area or areas where there's predators like that, do not hike alone. It's always good to go with somebody else. And I would add, it's always good to go with someone else that you're faster than, right? So <laughs> it's not good to be alone. I ran across some videos this week that I believe illustrate other circumstances where it's not good to be alone. The first one is with a ladder, right? When you're using a ladder, like this gentleman, his son helps me a little bit. When you're using a ladder, and notice it's on top of a table, on top of a table, okay? It's just not good <laughs> to be alone. Uh, I think he's okay, all right? And the son, I love the son. He's like, uh, yeah, Dad, you okay? <laughs> okay. Uh, the next one is moving, all right? Anybody love to move? It's always good to move with people. <laughs> Especially when you're moving a big tube TV. Now, his idea of the tarp was great, but it didn't work, all right? Um, so the last one is working out when you're bench pressing, right? Uh, any workout guys? I don't normally bench um, with a spotter, but I don't do this much. But anyway, um, and down he goes, and uh, okay, maybe not up, and he's squirming. And in case he hasn't lost all his dignity... Here it goes. Man card, please. I mean, you're calling for your mom? Really? I mean, gosh. Yeah, if you're going to bench, you know, get a spotter. You know you're not going to be able to lift it up. Anyway, uh, there are many things in life that should not be done alone. And it seems to me faith... Faith is not to be done alone either. Living out our faith, our walk with Jesus, should not be done alone. There's definitely a personal element to it. I'm not negating that. But I believe what we see in God's Word is that we are called to walk out, live out our faith together with fellow believers. We all believe that it's better to be in community. I think all of us would agree with that. But it's just sometimes so hard and, and to, to practice that. I mean, you know, life is crazy. People are drama. Why mix those up, right? It's like, well, can we just do this on our own? But, but it is better to do life together. And that's what we see in the early church. In those very early days, I mean, literally the church is days old here when Luke gives us this picture of what was happening in the church. And they seem to have discovered very early on that we is greater than me. There in Acts chapter 2, we're going to be starting at verse 41 and following there. Um, the Holy Spirit has descended upon the disciples. They had preached, at Pentecost, Peter specifically had, had preached to the people there about Christ and, and what had happened to him. And there then in verse 41, he gives us a little glimpse of, of what happened after they came to Christ, after they took that first step of faith and being baptized into Christ. And it, it says this, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, right? I mean, instant megachurch, boom, just like that, 3,000 people. I can't imagine how awesome that day would have been, okay? I mean, as people just kept coming to the water, people kept 
placing their faith in Christ, wanting to be baptized into Christ and to start their, their faith journey. That would be so awesome. We would need a bigger baptistry, right? That would be sweet. Um, but this day, so many keep on coming. But Luke goes on in the story. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just stop that they came to faith, but they continued on in their faith journey. They began to discover more and more what they were supposed to be doing as now new followers of Jesus. Look at verse 42 with me, if you will. And it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, all right? We're going to really dissect this verse as we see what the early church was doing in those early days. But the first thing we see that they were about was that they were devoted. They devoted themselves. We are called to be, like the early church, a devoted people, giving of ourselves, having a passion for what God has called us to in our faith journey with Him. We're called to be devoted. And we ought to be, as we see in this text, devoted to doing life together, to doing these activities together. What activities does he lay out for us there? They were learning together as they learned from the apostles' teaching. They were in the fellowship. They were in relationship with each other as they were in the fellowship together. They, were, they had the, the, took time for the breaking of bread, or, or as we do each Sunday, as we just did uh, just a few moments ago, and the taking of communion, remembering Christ's sacrifice and, and conquering of death. And finally, and the prayers, okay, the prayers. Some believe that when it says the prayers, that there's some specific uh, wrote prayers that they would go through, but I believe it also would include that they had very personal prayers, but they would pray together. All of these were in community. Together, they would carry out these activities, and they were devoted to those. Jack Cottrell, a professor in our brotherhood, the Restoration Movement, speaks about these, and he takes it a little bit deeper when he begins to talk about these four activities. And he says that these are the activities that the church was doing because they were addressing four essential needs that every one of us have inside of us. As human beings, these were addressing four essential needs. He says they were devoted to learning because we have a need for truth, and we're going to talk about that. They were devoted to fellowship because we have a need for love. We have a, there was a, they were devoted to remembering Christ's sacrifice because we have a need for hope. And they were devoted to prayer because we have a need for power or for strength in this life. They were devoted to growing together in community with one another. We need this biblical community that we see playing out in the early church. And I believe we continue to see playing out in today's church, here at First Church. And so what I want to do is I just want to walk down through each one of these uh, different needs that we have, these reasons that we need biblical community, just kind of unpack each one of these. Starting off with, we need biblical community because we need truth. We need truth. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the receiving of truth, as they would, as they would teach and preach what, what Jesus had taught them and tell the stories of what Jesus had done. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't just open up the Bible and say, okay, let's turn over to the New Testament. We're going to go to Philippians. They didn't have that. But what they had were the eyewitness accounts. They were there. They heard the things that Jesus said, and those were the things that they would pass down to these new believers in the church. 
Listen, we live in a world that is searching for, looking for truth. We live in a world that's filled with misinformation. There's all kinds of stuff online that, that people will go and they research and they look for things and they try to find truth online. And did you know you can't believe everything that's on the internet? Oh, shocker. But because of all the misinformation that is out there, studies are showing more and more that people have a lack of trust. Trust in in the world, trust in what we see online, trust in even our relationships with one another because of so much misinformation that is out there. Many in this world are in search for what we would call absolute truth. That truth that is true at all times for all people in all places. That's absolute truth. And there's, as many are in search of absolute truth, there are also many in this culture that say there's no such thing as absolute truth. It doesn't exist. What's true for me might not be true for you and vice versa. It's what many will say. But we as followers of Jesus, we, we say, no, we know what absolute truth is. It's the truth that we find in God's word. It is true, and we can stand upon that. It is not wavering, and it does not change. And so we hold on to that truth in our lives, and we hold on to the greatest truth. And that is Jesus himself. It was Jesus that said, I am the truth and the life. So we hold on to him. And it's when we find that truth in Jesus, that as he would say, that it's in that truth that we'll find freedom from all the other misinformation that's out in this world. Now we find true, sustaining, foundational truth for our lives to live on. And that's the truth that they were finding in the apostles' teaching. That's the truth that we find today as we, as we dive into God's Word and together in community we dive into, into the study of God's Word and together we grow in our faith, and our understanding of God's truth. And then Luke, as we walk through this text, each, with each one of these activities, he gives us the result. Go to verse 43, and it says this, And all came upon every soul. All, all those who gave their life to Christ in this early church, all, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Why were they in awe? I believe they weren't just in awe because of the wonders and signs. I believe they were in awe. Contextually, I believe it, we can see it because of the teaching, the truth that they were hearing, because it was different than anything else that many of them had been hearing. This was an absolute truth. This, the, I, I remember whenever Jesus was preaching and it said that many were amazed because he taught with such authority? And I believe it's that, so along that same line that as they're hearing the apostles' teaching, as they're telling all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus taught, everybody that's listening He's going, whoa, this is different. This is good. And they were in awe. But they were also in awe because God was validating the truth that was being taught and what was being preached. Through the wonders and signs, they were seeing God say, yes, this is true, and here's my stamp of approval. And you saw people who were being healed. You saw those who had miraculous gifts. And it was, they, they were seeing the power of God right in front of them, being manifest right in front of them as he validated the truth that was being preached. You know, at First Church here, we have a mission statement that says we want to love Jesus and love like Jesus. And part of that love Jesus mission that we have, uh, the, the, 
the expression that we have along with that is that we want to see 100% of those who, who call First Church their home. Uh, we want 100% of our people reading the Bible every day. 100% of us. That's the goal. All right? Are we there? Probably not. But it just sounded really weird to say, hey, we want 80% of our people reading God's Word every day, right? You know, it's like, that's, you know. No, we want 100%. We want everybody in God's Word every day feeding on His truth, discovering His truth for our lives. And in a, on a personal level, we need to be in God's Word. In a, in a group level, we need to be in God's Word as together, as we see these early, this early church coming together, they learn together from God's Word. They were devoted to learning the truth together. Question, are you devoted to learning God's truth that is found in His Word, both personally and in community? Are you devoted to learning more about God's truth? Number two, reason why we need biblical community, we need it because we need love. We need it because we need Love And the word that's attached in here that we find in verse 42 is that they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. The, the Greek word that, that goes along with that, that's very common, that's used for that word uh, fellowship is the word koinonia, which just means a close relationship to be in communion with or to be sharing with one another. And so they had this fellowship and they found relationship within the context of these groups with one another, within the homes with one another. What did the fellowship look like? What, did the, what was the result of this? Again, he shows us that in verses 44 through 45. Look there with me. It says this, And all who believed were together, all right, they're together again, all right, there's that word, together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. They were together, all right? We're called, and I think all of us, even our, us introverts, we have this uh, somewhat of a desire within us to, to have togetherness, to have, have some relationships. And we see that playing out in the church as they, they shared everything. They had all things in common with one another. And they were meeting one another's needs. And in that, love was being shared. I love seeing that happening around here. We see that. Within our, our uh, group context, as uh, we've seen small group life groups come around one another when there's been a death in the family and they're there to help with uh, cleaning out homes of, of parents who have passed. We've seen that happen a number of times. We've seen them help, help people move across town or even move out of town. You know, we've seen life groups come around one another and just be there to help and serve and provide meals when babies come. You know, it's like they're there and they just love being shared and relationships are growing in, in the context of, of groups. And it's so awesome to see God's people working in that way. Just last week, you, maybe you recall, we, we took up a dollar drive. One of, one of our families, a part of our group, saw a need in, in a family actually outside of our church and said, hey, we need to meet this need. A single mom, four kids, all four years old and younger, and says, hey, we need to get them a van. They don't have, she has no transportation. Remember that? And we took a dollar drive last week, and last week, $6,561, right? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! way to go church oh we love seeing that that as the church was meeting needs within the church and outside the church love is being shared 
Relationships were growing. Jack Cottrell, again, professor, says this, the church must thus be known not just as the pillar and support of truth, we're just talking about truth, but also as a place of warmth, friendliness, fellowship, and caring. Without this, the truth will not be heard. Okay? Hear that? We can have all the truth. We can stand on God's Word, and we can be firm to, to not deviate from the doctrine that God has given us. But if we present it in a harsh, unloving way, nobody's going to listen. We're called to be a people that are loving people, engaging in relationship, meeting the needs of one another so that the truth will be heard both inside the church and outside the church. So question, are you devoted to building loving relationships with one another, with fellow followers of Jesus, as we see happening in this early church. Listen, we need biblical community because also we need hope. We need hope. Again, when we look at the world around us, we look at our culture, and people are searching for hope with all the political chaos and cultural confusion and personal struggles and it's just like I just need I need a light at the end of the tunnel I just need something to live for I need something that says it's gonna be okay I just need some hope and we see that all the time in the world around us maybe you've found yourself in that place maybe you've talked to others co-workers family members that find themselves in that similar spot just looking for hope Job 8, maybe you remember that story of Job whenever he lost everything and his friends were trying to minister to him. There's one text in there where they, one of them kind of gets it right. Uh, Job chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, just a little paraphrase of verse 13 after they talk about this. It says this, those who forget God have no hope. Those who forget God have no hope. That's what was being told to Job. And I think his friend had it right here. That when we forget God, when we push God away, we're not going to find hope anywhere else. But I believe the converse is also true. Those who draw near to God, the nearer you are to God, the more hope you find. You see, I, I believe people in this world are looking at all kinds of places trying to find hope. They're looking at the bottom of a bottle. They're looking at a pill jar. They're, they're looking in relationships and beds and and politics in the White House. They're look, looking everywhere, trying to find some hope, trying to find some, some strength, something to get them through in this life. And all of those are empty. They might be temporary. might help for a little while. But the hope that we have available to us is so much greater. It's the hope that we find in Jesus the writer of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 19, he says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I love that imagery of an anchor for our souls. And, and as we go through this life, we need to be anchored down that, that as the winds blow and as the storms come against us, that we have an anchor in Jesus that's holding us firm till the end. 
And that's what the writer there in chapter 6 is trying to get at. If you back up a little bit, that's exactly what he's talking about is is the certainty of our hope in in Christ, that he's not wavering, he's not changing. From, from, From day to day, he doesn't change his mind. He is there today, tomorrow for eternity. He's there, and we can, bl- we, can, we can place our faith on Him and build our foundation, the foundation of our life upon Him. And that's what we see the early church doing. Look at verse 46. We get a little glimpse of how this played out. And it says this, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I, I believe in this. We find that there's a, there's a spiritual hope that they find. As they would come together for the breaking of bread, the communion, they, they would come together. And what are they doing at communion? The same thing we do at communion. They're remembering what Christ did on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And they find their spiritual hope in all that they were facing. As they're facing the, the ridicule of maybe family members who aren't going to follow Jesus, as they face the, the trials of, of just trying to figure out a new faith, I mean, they're coming out of a Jewish faith. That's all they've known. And now they're discovering something new and trying to change their whole culture and change their whole lifestyle. And it's so different. And each week they would come together and be reminded, don't forget what Jesus did for us. Don't forget about the victory that we have in Christ. And that's why we do that every week. Because I believe every week we need to be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus and this life that we're living. They found their, their spiritual hope. I, I believe also he's outlining that they found their, their, their practical hope as, their, as needs arrived. Just like we talked about in verse 45, that they were meeting the needs of one another. He, he highlights that again here as, as they were received their food with glad and generous hearts. They, they knew that as, as they're facing trials, as they're facing struggles, as they're facing times where, where they were in need and maybe didn't have any food, that, that, the, that God's people were coming around and providing for them and they had a practical hope that, hey, we're in this together. And together we can press on in, in this life. And so it says in that text that they would, would come to the temple together, kind of that large group setting. They would come together and they would worship together and they would learn together. And then it, it would go on and it says that then they would, they would meet in their homes together. That smaller group, what we call life groups, a little more intimate, you know each other a little bit better. You actually know everybody's names in that group. And you know each other's needs. And you know what's burdening them in that smaller group context. And so it's together in this biblical community that they would find hope in Jesus. Let me ask you, are you devoted to finding your hope in Jesus and him alone? Or are you looking other places? Are you trying to find it other ways? Our ultimate hope is in him. Last thing that he highlights is this. We need biblical community because we need power. And that's when he begins talking about prayer. It's the last thing that he lists here is that as they would come together, that they would pray together. And it's in those prayers that they would find great power. And I believe there's great power in prayer. We can read through many, many texts that talk about just the power that we find in prayer. There's power in prayer. 
And some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to know as you're facing circumstances in your life, as you're going through marital struggles, as you're going through health issues, and you're going through financial strain, and you need to know that there's power in prayer if you just take it to God. And if you'll bring that to your community, you'll bring that to your group and say, hey, I'm going to be a little vulnerable today, but here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm struggling with. Would you pray for me? Just this morning, one of our ladies, first service, she got a cancer diagnosis this last week. One of the first things she wanted was for the elders to come together and pray over her. And they did that this morning, anointed her, prayed over her. I love seeing her faith in that moment. We believe that there's power in prayer. And I ask you, church, are you devoted to praying to God? And finding your power there. The result that we see is in verse 47. Let me, let me hit that where it says this. Praising God. Talking about all the people in the church. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were in favor of many of the people that were around them. Why? Because I believe the people on the outside were looking on the inside and going, I've never seen this before. I've never seen this community kind of uh, thing happening with needs being met, joy and love for one another. I mean, again, their context is family, family, family. It's all your family, all your tribe. But now it's this new community of followers of Jesus. And, and people began to see that. And they began to hear messages of hope and messages of joy and messages of strength. And so people on the outside began to say, I want some of that. And then he says there, and day by day, they were being saved. They were coming to Christ. More and more became followers of Jesus. We need community. We need biblical community that we might find truth, that we might find love, that we might find hope, that we might find power as we press on in this life. And I love as we look at this text, we look at verse 47, and he says there uh, that those those 3,000 that we started with in, in verse 41, now more and more are being added day by day. You go to chapter 4, and in chapter 4, Luke says, hey, there's now there's 5,000 followers, there's 5,000 believers, and then you go to chapter 6, verse 7, and he says this, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied. We went from addition to multiplication, all right? And now it multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's a big deal. Priests, leaders in the Jewish nation were becoming followers of Jesus. The church grew, the people grew. Because I believe people in the world were seeing a biblical community lived out in front of them. Needs were being met. Burdens were being carried. And lives were being changed. I've asked Brandon Fiddler to come up here. He's going to help me with just a little illustration of what I believe we see happening in the church. When we look at this early church and we look at them coming together in community with one another, uh, to me, I believe it, it's reminiscent of Exodus chapter 17. Come right over here so you'll be in the light. You know, isn't he good looking? All right. All right. Um, but in Exodus chapter 17, you have uh, there where uh, the Israelites are in a battle against the Amalekites and Moses is up on the hillside. And as long as Moses' arms were outstretched, the Israelites were winning the battle. Okay, and it was amazing, but as soon as he would begin to drop his arms because it was just too hard, they would begin to lose. 
And so what happened? Aaron, his brother, and another guy by the name of Hur came up, and they held up his arms, okay, so that they would win the battle. Now, here's the thing. As we're going through life, we face burdens. We just got through talking about a bunch of these burdens, and they weigh on us, and we try to do all we can to raise our arms and keep our arms lifted. Now, here we go, church. Here's where you come in. We can't let Brandon drop his arms. He's in the battle. And over here, there's burdens. Might be marriage burdens. They're going through difficult transitions and hard times. I mean, I mean, they're pregnant, expecting a baby. I mean, that's crazy. So there's, there's that. Over here, maybe there's, there's financial struggles. There's financial trials that are bearing down. And we can't let him drop his arms, church, okay? And maybe there's, uh, maybe there's addiction. Maybe not. But anyway, Again, picture, big picture. All right, maybe there's addiction that, that is going on and, and struggles with, with or, you're shaking a little bit, um, <laughs> struggles with that, just trying to overcome the, the, the struggle and the trial of addiction. Maybe there's job situations. And we can't let him drop his arms, church. You hear me? As we walk through this life, we're going to face burden after burden after burden, and it gets harder and harder. In church, we can't let him drop his arms. There you go. And that's the way the church is supposed to work. When we see burdens around us, when we hear of struggles, we need to be a church that comes running. That almost only happens in the context of a group, when you're in community, because otherwise, those burdens aren't being shared. Okay, we can take those down, because I can <laughs> Now you guys are getting tired. All right. Hey, can you give them a hand? Thank you. We've got to be a church that is there for one another, that comes running to one another, running to the messes of life, and be in this biblical community. And that may look like coming together and, and sharing truth. It may be coming together and just being in fellowship, just being present. I tell so many people that, that are in the midst of a, a trial, they have a loved one that's in the midst of a trial, they've got the loss of a loved one, loved one in a, with a coworker, and they say, what do we do? What do we say? Just be there. Just be present. Just, just be in relationship. Just say, I'm here. You don't have to have the right words. Just be there. And that's that relationship, that fellowship. Maybe it's just bringing that, that hope helping them see perspective, getting, helping them get focused back on Jesus. Maybe it's just maybe it's through prayer. Man, I'm praying for you. And then actually doing it, okay? It's really easy to say, oh, I'm praying for you. And then not do anything about it. I mean, you pray for one another. Pray with one another. If somebody needs prayer, grab them right there and say, let me pray with you. And just pray with them. But we need to be a church that's there for one another as we live out this biblical community that we see in this early church. And again, where we see this most 
is in our groups, in our life groups and classes. So here it is. You need to get in a group. We have 589 adults that are in groups right now that we know of. And many, many more who want to get into groups. Do you know what we're running into? We don't have any space. Our groups that are supposed to be small and relational are getting big. and People are getting lost in them. You know what that means? We need leaders. We need some who are in a group and you've been in a group for years to step up and step out and say, I'll go lead a group. I want to be there. I want to, I want to help raise the arms of others. I want it to be a place, create a place where others can be a part of what God's doing here and create a biblical community and so I want to challenge you. There's some of you sitting here today that you need to take that step. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to take that step. So if you're not in a group, get in a group. If you're in one, you know God's calling you to take a next step in your faith journey and become a leader, take that step. Become a leader. And write on your connection card. You can just write down there, next step. Get me in a group. And if you want to be a leader, mark that and put leader next to the side. And we'll get you in the leadership pipeline, we'll get you trained up, and we'll send you out to create a biblical community. Listen, church, we need community, right? So let's all get in one. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we, we do thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for the lives we continue to be, see being changed. God, we thank you for the needs we see being met uh, through your church, God, we, we're, God we, it's just so awesome to see you at work in this place. And, and we give you all the praise and all the glory for what's happening here. But God, we pray you'll continue to raise up more and more people. More and more people will take the step of faith that we see in that early church to, to place their faith and you be baptized into you. More and more people will take that step to, to engage in a community of believers and taking that step to become a leader among the followers of Jesus. So God, continue to do your amazing work in your church. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.